0: This podcast will be discussing the question, should the information gathered in the Nazi experiments be used in modern medicine and science? From 1942 to 1945, the Nazis carried out as many as 30 experiments on Jews and other minorities, prisoners of war, and the mentally disabled. The Nazis divided the experiments into three main categories, survival of military personnel, the testing of drugs and different treatments, and the advancement of Nazi racial and ideological goals. These experiments were carried out at concentration camps such as Auschwitz, Dachau, and Ravensbrück. The main argument for why the data should be used for modern science is that much of the information discovered can help with curing diseases and illnesses that many are afflicted with today. An example that is frequently used when arguing that the experiments can provide cures today and originally started the ethical conversation refers to experiments that were performed by Dr. Sigmund Rascher at the concentration camp Dachau that explored immersion hypothermia. These experiments were performed to find ways of treating soldiers with hypothermia after they were shot down over the ocean. Subjects were immersed in baths of icy water that ranged from 2 degrees Celsius to 12 degrees Celsius. or 35 degrees Fahrenheit to 53 degrees Fahrenheit usually naked, and left there for hours until their body temperature dropped to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Subjects were also tied up outside naked during the harsh winter elements until their body temperatures dropped. After this, subjects were retrieved and then different types of rewarming were tested. The types of rewarming tested ranged from throwing the subjects into vats of boiling water, to hot sleeping bags, to even having naked women inmates huddle around the freezing victim. Farrakh C. Cohan, in his article, The Ethics of Using Medical Data from Nazi Experiments, provided two examples of doctors using the data to benefit people today. First, Cohan talks of Dr. Robert Pozos, who is the director of the hypothermia laboratory at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Pozos was trying to find the most efficient way of rewarming a body once affected. He was performing his own experiments on volunteer patients, but he refused to let his patients' temperatures drop below 36 degrees Celsius or 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the temperature at which hypothermia begins to set in. This then blocked him from any more advancement on the subject because he could only speculate on what would happen at lower temperatures. Pozos wanted to use the data collected during the Nazi experiments because it filled the hole in his research as it would allow him to be better equipped to treat his patients whose body temperature had dropped below 36 degrees Celsius. Cohen also provided Dr. John Hayward's experience, who is a biology professor in Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Hayward was working on developing a cold water survival suit that would be worn on fishing boats. Hayward used the data collected by Rauscher to determine how long the suits would protect the person at fatal temperatures. From these two examples, we can see how it can be argued that using the information collected by Nazis could be beneficial to people today. The second point that is discussed frequently when dealing with the ethics of using data collected from Nazi experiments is the original intention of many of the experiments. There are many experiments that the Nazis conducted that dealt with the survival of their troops. Some of the most notorious experiments that dealt with this are the high-altitude experiments, the hypothermia experiments, the musculoskeletal experiments, experiments with tuberculosis, phosgene experiments, and the seawater experiments. The Musculoskeletal experiments will be focused on. According to Erden M.D., the musculoskeletal experiments were initiated by the Nazi regime when it was discovered that many soldiers were sustaining injuries that developed life- or limb-threatening bacterial infections, particularly gas gangrene, which occurred in 12% of all wounded soldiers and killed 22% of those affected, or about 100,000 during World War I. This led to the assignment of two different types of experiments— the efficiency of sulfonylomide drugs in treating gas gangrene, and experiments to observe bone, muscle, and nerve regeneration and transplant. The sulfonylomide experiments were overseen by Dr. Carl Gerpart at Ravensbrück. His experiments were meant to discover whether soldiers should be treated surgically on the field or given sulfonylomide drugs, then sent to a base hospital for surgical treatment. To simulate conditions on the battlefield, during these experiments, subjects were cut on the leg and bacteria was introduced into the wound. Next, the physicians would aggravate the wound with wood chips, cloth fibers, dirt, and glass to cause infection. SS Chief Medical Officer Ernst Robert Grauwitz personally went to oversee the experiments. The results were not as yielding as he had hoped. Bolt wounds were then simulated by cutting off the circulation to the injured leg by tying it off on either end. This was because when shot, tissues are shattered, and this interrupts the normal circulation of blood. The subjects would then be given the sulfa drug in a number of different ways. Some had sulfanilamide powder applied to the wound. Others had the powder applied as well as given sulfanilamide tablets, while others were given these as well as injections. Next, SS doctors carried out experiments on the regeneration of bone, muscle, and nerves, as well as the transfer of bone or limbs between patients. This was seen as a long-term approach for treatment to soldiers that had sustained amputations, pseudodarthrosis, which is a false joint in the spine and usually refers to the lack of fusion after an operation, and tissue defects. During these experiments, parts of the tibia were removed and either put into other patients or into the original patient's other leg. Parts of skeletal muscles and nerves in the legs were also removed to observe regeneration. There are 10 known operations that dealt with amputation and transfer of whole legs, where either the leg was transplanted with muscle or just the bone. When this was done, the leg, or sometimes arm, was wrapped in gauze and quickly transported to a nearby hospital and used to treat injured German soldiers. By examining the true motive behind the Ravensbrück experiments, some have maintained that the intention was to help others and wasn't just malicious mistreatment of prisoners. The last point that is often argued in favor of using Nazi-obtained information is that it can right a wrong that has been left untreated for too many years. It can't be disputed that hundreds of thousands of people suffered because of the horrendous action of excess physicians during World War II, but many have posed the idea that if the data collected was used, it could help to right some of the wrong committed. It is said that the victim's death wouldn't be meaningless anymore, that their suffering would actually mean something, and that they would be helping others. In other words, their supposed sacrifice wouldn't be in vain. Both Jesse and Ashley from the podcast Unusual Insight agree with this sentiment. This idea was also proposed by scientists working at the Environmental Protection Agency when they were studying the effects of phosgene, which is a toxic gas that is used when making pesticides and plastics. Although there is plentiful amount of information when dealing with animals, there is little when it comes to the exact effect on humans because it's so deadly, experiments are settled and performed. Barrett-Cohen explains that EPA scientists argue that Nazi phosgene data could save lives of residents that lived near manufacturing plants, and it also had the potential to save lives of American troops stationed at the Persian Gulf in the event of a chemical attack from Saddam Hussein. This is a prime example that could be used to push the idea that using the data could right or wrong if it is used to save people's lives now. The opposite side of this controversy is as follows. The experiments done during World War II by Nazis shouldn't be used in modern medicine because of three main reasons. One, there is glaring evidence that the experiments were completely uncredible on a scientific basis. Even without the issue of whether it is ethical or not, the experiments have no data that is of any use to the medical world because the experiments weren't performed with the proper procedure for collecting accurate scientific evidence. Two, they were performed to reinforce the Nazis' idea of racial hygiene, to provide ways of eradicating races they deemed a fit, and to build the Aryan super-race. Lastly, using the knowledge gained in such an inhuman way would endorse such behavior to the general populace and turns a blind eye to the fact the experiments were performed on people that didn't consent, and those innocent people's irrefutable suffering. The biggest point when arguing against using information gathered by the Nazis is that the information has long been proven to not have any scientific worth, even from the beginning. Robert L. Berger wrote a very compelling article that discusses the scientific accuracy of the Dachau hyperthermia experiments. In his article, he goes through the Dachau Comprehensive Report, which is the only document that was able to be recovered after all the reports were burned when the allies closed in on the Dachau camp. Berger analyzes the document, keeping in mind the medical knowledge of the time and provides data directly from the report. The first point that Berger makes against the report is that there is no information given about the age or nutritional state of the subjects. The report also says that the subjects were put in baths, closed or naked, as well as given anesthesia in some cases, but gives no definitive information if this affects the rate of cooling. Next, the lethal temperature is not affirmative. It is mentioned by an assistant that one subject was cooled to 25 degrees Celsius. But later, Rauscher states that the subjects die at 28 degrees Celsius. This is inconsistent with the rest of the report, which maintains that the lethal temperature is between 26 to 27 degrees Celsius. While later, it states that for six subjects, the terminal temperature was 24.2 to 25.7 degrees. All of this data does not concur with the table attached, which states that these patients died between 25 degrees and 29.2 degrees Celsius. The temperatures at which 80 other patients died are not given either. Along with this, no mortality rate at these temperatures is recorded, so no lethal temperature is defined. Ways that the patients were cured are also very inconsistent. Rascher mentions that seven different ways of rewarming were tested and found effective, but only gives data on three. He states that the rewarming was most effective with the warm bath, but later mentions that it was tested combined with a body massage, then later, at the end of the experiment, a light box was added. The number of experiments conducted, the temperatures of the baths, and the intensity of the light are not given. Rauscher concludes that the warm bath is the most effective for rewarming, but no data is given on other forms of rewarming, so there is no support for his conclusion. Another interesting point brought out by Berger in another one of his articles is that Alexander Leo, who was originally set out to examine the data and determine its scientific worth, originally concluded that the data was useless and was accepted in all of Germany, that there was no reason to use it. It was America and Britain that continued to use the data even after it was declared useless. If other countries had acknowledged from the start that there was no reason to use the data, then ethical debates would never have started and there would be no reason to argue over the information's ethical use. The second reason that the Nazi data shouldn't be used is that the most horrendous of the experiments dealt with their goal to create a master race and eradicate those deemed insufficient. The most notorious of these were done by Joseph Mengele. He is the most famous for his experiments that dealt with twins. Mangala experimented with over 1,500 sets of twins. During this time, he would inject them with many different solutions, most of them unknown to this day. He did this to find a way to expand the Aryan race at an accelerated rate. He was also trying to find ways to remove diseases that were thought to have been in the genes. From his experiments, only 200 sets of twins survived. He was also known to have imprinted women with the semen of a male twin to pro- try and produce twins, and when one, only one baby was born, he would murder the newborn baby. Mangala was also very interested in heterochromia, which is when a person has two different colored eyes, and in changing the color of a person's eyes. He injected unknown chemicals into his victim's eyes in hope of changing the color with which would often result in the blinding of these people. He would also kill people and take their eyes and pin them on his wall. Other important studies to advance ideological goals were done at Auschwitz and Ravensbrück to find ways of sterilizing people so the Nazis could control who gave birth. This was to make sure that no one who was an inferior race or with mental or physical defects could contaminate the German gene pool. According to Jennifer Rosenberg from ThoughtCo, asylum inmates made up to 30-40% to of those sterilized, and by 1945, 300,000 to 450,000 persons were sterilized. The Jewish Library reveals that Dr. Carl Klauberg would inject a chemical irritate into the women's reproductive organs that would cause severe irritation to the point that the fallopian tubes would close. Many of these women were killed after the process was administered so Klobberg could perform autopsies. Dr. Horsch Schumann found a way for mass sterilization by exposing the person's reproductive organs to x-rays. This caused serious burns and sores that didn't heal. Many died from complications or were killed for autopsies. The last point to be discussed is that using the information gathered would endorse the way that it was obtained, and would be a way of ignoring how millions suffered in the hands of Nazis. Dr. Bern Muller Hill, who is a molecular biologist at the University of Cologne in West Germany, says, "We should remember those who died. We should not try to squeeze profit out of it." Similar ideas are expressed by others in an article by Isabel Wilkerson. She says. Others say that the use of the data amounts to the victim's final dignity and could possibly invite duplication of the experiments. It is apparent that using the data can lead to many unforeseen consequences, and if scientists decide it's okay to use information collected in such horrific ways, what is stopping worse things from happening? Lynn Jillian from the conversation also stated that unless it is explicitly stated that the Nazi experiments were used to come to certain conclusions, it is said that what happened was horrible and inhumane, it would start to endorse the practices to the general public. It has become obvious that the general consensus is that it is unethical to use this information gathered by Nazi experiments. There is much more solid information against using the studies than for using them, and all the points given in favor of using such horrifically obtained information are quickly uprooted. From all the information given and reviewed, it is apparent that the data collected from Nazi experiments should not be accused because they are not scientifically valid, the true motive behind them was malicious and not for the greater good of humanity, and the victims' lives should not be further disgraced by modern scientists overlooking their suffering for selfish gain.